I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to the second major preview of the year on the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined by Jason as ever. Jason, hello. Good evening, Tom. How are you? I'm very well. Good. I'm fine, thank you. Um... <laughs> How are you, Tom? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm absolutely fine. Sorry, I've turned the... let me turn the page over the script. Hold on. <laughs> oh, Tom, yeah, that's what you how <laughs> are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, we have got two guests on today, which is a, a first for the podcast. Um, first of all, we've got Ben Coley. Ben, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me again. It's um, it's fun, isn't it? I get to speak to you four times in like three months, and then we don't hear from each other for nine months. No, um, which maybe, there, we there should, we maybe we should maybe we should change that. Um, you know, we, we've just been discussing your your recent run of winners, um, which hasn't translated into major winners. So maybe we just get you on on the wrong weeks. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. If you want me for the Kenya Open next year, I'm I'm game. <laughs> Absolutely. And Skylar Hoke has joined as well. Sky, hello. Tom, thank you guys for having me. I uh, expected a, a great evening together with with this four right here. Yeah, it feels like a uh, sort of a big fireside chat like Phil Mixon likes to uh, sit up on Twitter every now and then. Um, it's a shame that we're not doing it in the in the company of a... Uh, it feels like a pub session, doesn't it, Jason? We say every week, but it's uh, it's actually not physically in uh, in person. Although that is uh, soon to be allowed if we're... Uh, if we're allowed to do it at some point soon. So one day we'll, uh, we'll get that going and do a live podcast maybe, Jason. Oh... That's good. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, yeah I like that one. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Kiowa Island, uh, the Ocean Course, is the host again this week for the PGA Championship. Um, 2012 was the last time we saw it. Rory McIlroy, eight-shot victory over David Lynn. Um, ben, as the Rory whisperer, um, he's coming in this week in, a, in in the best form he has in a major for a little while now. Um, would you expect anything similar from him this week? And the Rory Whisperer implies that I've got him right. I think I'm whatever the opposite is. Um, look, um, it's one of those, isn't it? Um, if you put him up five times and then you take a week off and he wins at 20 to 1 at his favourite course, uh, you kind of throw the toys out of the pram and, and strike a line through him. Um, the one thing I would say, I, th- I think if, if he'd won at Quail Hollow, th- this is a great example of where bookmakers don't, they'll tell you they look at all the detail, right? And I don't know as they do, simply because they don't have time. But if he'd won at Quail Hollow, leading the field from tee to green, yeah. and he putted okay, and he was he was Rory McIlroy as we as we know and love, I think you you probably wouldn't hesitate, and you'd say yeah, 10, 11, 12 to one, perhaps there is around, um, with that behind him, you know, a player who thrives on confidence and with the crowds back and all the narratives were hit, you'd say yeah, right, let's let let's do it, let's not worry about the fact that he was a bigger price for a for a lesser event. But he won that because he putted brilliantly, mm. um, you know, and, and I, it, there, you can spin it whichever way you want. The, the, the strongest parallel for me was with Bay Hill in 2018. He won that putting brilliantly after a miscut the time before people saying, what's wrong with Rory? And he did then go on to contend at Augusta. He played in the final group. It was his best chance to win bar 2011. So you, you can you can look either way, but I, I tend to look for strong signs in a player's ball striking, as I'm, I imagine we all do to some degree. And, and for that reason, 
I don't think the price move is justified, but it was expected. And look, he had to be favourite, didn't he? So if he wins, I'll be happy. I'll also be angry, but it's nice to have mixed emotions, isn't it, on a Sunday <laughs> of a major championship? That's it. Uh, Jason, that, that's interesting because that's kind of the conversation we were having before we came on, before we invited the other guys in. Um, and, and you said to me, you know, what do you think of Rory McIlroy 10 to 1? And, and I basically said what I normally say about Rory McIlroy 10 to 1 that I could find value elsewhere um, and I said that my one worry was that his short game dominated what he did at Quail Hollow um, not to say he didn't strike the ball well because obviously he was top 10 in tees green and approach but it wasn't like Ben said it wasn't the driving force of his game and I just worry that he, he kind of did what he never does around the greens and on them as opposed to something that is kind of return to form we try and forecast what players are going to do don't we hmm. um using some sort of evidence um and we've had those you know he's had those um couple of weeks where he's been able to to work with Pete Cowan even further on his game um back at Quail Hollow which as I'm sure we'll discuss is such a a massive influence or was a massive influence back in 2012 and I'm hoping that is an influence this week otherwise (laughs) I'll balls this right up um Abram Anser played probably as well as I've seen him certainly in final round Victor Hovland played outstanding and Rory still beat them. And I, I appreciate that, you know, his short game got him out of trouble a lot of the time. Um, but this is... I, and I'm not a Rory McIlroy backer in any way, shape or form. And I'll turn my nose up at 8-1 to one on a regular week when he's playing well. Um, I just have the feeling that um, he knows what he's got to work on. That will be what he concentrates on. Everything else is natural. He's here, as you rightly say, at, you know, somewhere he absolutely adores... I've worked on, I'm sure we all have on various sort of courses and and correlation on courses. He fits in every single one. You know, obviously he's quite hollow form. Uh, I've got Honda down as well, which was quite prevalent in 2012 PGA form. He's won there and been second. Uh, Players, obviously, he's won. Another Pete Dye and got loads of top tens. He's back winning. He knows what to do. I'm not saying that 10 to 1 is, you know, the greatest screaming value ever. But when you compare it with last week's three 10 to 1 shots, um, and and the context in which we're looking at him and the fact it's a major and where it is i think he's absolutely justified and if anyone wants to say they're lumping on each way i can't argue against him well the thing is as well is he lost that playoff at quail hollow in 2012 didn't he when ricky fowler uh won and that you know if it was for that he'd won four times at quail hollow so it's obviously a course that he loves it's a course that we're saying fits into this um, so absolutely, he's, he's got all the form. He's won the players, which is a Pete Dye track. So there's everything there to suggest that this will be, on top of the fact that he won it in 2012, um, a great course for him. Sky, when it comes to Roy McIlroy, the, the only the only caveat I'd say is my own argument is that we've seen it recently now that, that these supreme talents of the Roy McIlroy's Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, it only takes one week and and one bit of confidence, I suppose, to really change the tide and. And potentially that you know Rory's the type of person go against all the kind of numbers and just play well because he feels like he can. Yeah, and, and it's reflective immediately, like like Ben said in the odds makers. You know, I I wouldn't have anticipated, of course, you know, if he if the waves flipped and and Rory ends up finishing two strokes behind Victor Hovland at, at the Wells Fargo because he was in the AM PM wave. Um, how does that number look today? You know, and that's where I think that the biggest conversation ends up why we're talking about Rory, you know, in this light to lead off the show is because he's now the favorite um, with that. So it is 
his six months previous year previous since we've seen golf return all thrown away for for four rounds at Wells Fargo. Uh, in my opinion, no, you know, so that's why I, I would tend to lean with more um, the others up here in this range um, and even a little bit deeper, preferably when the odds come out at this way. So it, it's delighted to see Rory back in contention. Golf's better with with the speeds and Rory's you know, day, week in and week out being on that first page of the leaderboard. But um, it still ends up being a pass for me at, at 11 to 12. Well, let's see. Now we've got this, the race for who can complete the Grand Slam between Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy. Spieth can obviously do it this week. Um, ben, we, we look at the, the yardage um, this week. It's just over 7,800 yards. Uh, longest on record, or nearly 7,900 yards. Longest on record major course. Um, and, and the first thing you'll hear is that it's a bombers only track and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and I read a good point the other day. I, I, don't, I suppose I've probably subconsciously thought it, um, but never really put it into words is that it's always going to look like a bombers course because a lot of the bombers are the best players in the world. So generally speaking, they do win. Um, and then you look at the rest of the leaderboard at this championship in 2012, and it was still a relatively long course. Um, do you think that you have to rule out anyone that can't hit it? 290 to 300 average no no i don't um i think if you were to um somehow erase from your memory what happened in 2012 and someone presented you with that leaderboard and you had to guess the yardage of the course um you'd probably say 6800 rather than <laughs> i think it was 7700 or touching it back then you know it was a very long course i believe it was the longest in major history back in 2012 yeah. um that that baton was passed to erin hills and is now back in the in the hands of Keir Island, I've, I've written that it's a dubious distinction uh, in my preview. And whichever course tops 8,000 for the first time in major history, I think it'll be a dark <laughs> day for the sport personally. But um, th there are a couple of factors. One, the USGA, uh, sorry, the PGA um, can do a lot with these tees. Keir Island is a resort course. Uh, people, as, as in, you know, sometimes we think that just means easy. Um, it's, it's a destination. People go on holiday there. They have a lot of different tee boxes. Um, one thing the PGA really like to do is, is put a tee box up and, and give us a drivable path for. They'll mess around with things. It's still going to play very, very long. Uh, but I don't think that's the number one uh, thing you can draw from 2012. Far from it. I mean, you know, we look at, I'm sure everyone will mention the, the, the European and international flavors, the leaderboard, not just that, the fact that so many of them are good in the wind. I think, I think Rory McIlroy might be the world's most underrated wind player. Yeah. You know, everyone tells me he can't play in the wind and he can't play tough courses. And I keep watching him play really well in the wind and on tough courses. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's an open champion who could have won the open probably four times. Um, and he missed the 2015 open, which would have been his best ever chance. So, uh, there's there's a lot to be said for a, a bit of extra yardage on a course like this because all the reasons we would always say right you're going to be coming in with higher approach shots to raised greens um all that stuff it, it it's relevant but there aren't that many forced carries you know that pete Dye likes to give you a bit of choice a bit of you know a lot of it comes down to what line you're prepared to take from the tee and, and it may well be that someone who, who's got 320 in the locker actually chooses a more negative line anyway so it, it is hard because we don't have strokes gain data from 2012 but there is no way david lynn was anywhere near the top of the strokes gained driving stats right okay. um, and the same would be true of ian poulter and blake adams and steve stricker and tim clark and all the others that were that were up there and um, the sport has changed and it is overwhelmingly dominated by longer players therefore the likelihood of a long winner is very very strong should it be the first thing you look for in my opinion absolutely not 
Jason, do you have any stock in the Open Championship? We talk about we're, we're going to talk about sort of wind effects and, and sort of courses by the coast, etc. Um, and when you look at that, obviously as Ben just said, there is Rory McIlroy is an Open, you know, champion. We've had Ian Poulter and Justin Rose have had runner-up finishes. Keegan Bradley's played well at the Open in top 15. Carl Peterson's had a top eight. Steve Stricker top four. You know, Pete Hanson and James Donaldson have played well in spurts in Open Championships. Do you, do you think there's anything to that, or you know, does it? Is it completely contingent on the weather? Are we, are we talking about something that we can't control until we get a forecast near at a time? It has, to have, it has to have some effect. You can see it by the players that are there. Um, I mean, the only thing, obviously, you can you can ask the players. The players have said themselves. Rory said you can't play um, this course by running it along the ground because the ball grabs it, which, you know, is completely different, obviously, to, to Lynx Golf. Um, but you look at who's there and, and, you know, you look at the leaderboards, you look... You know, you go with Keegan Bradley, who plays tough courses extremely well. Um, as you say, Porter, it doesn't matter what the weather is like. You know, Porter grinds his way through Justin Rose. It's it, it shows you. I mean, it shows you the type of player that we're looking for. For me, yeah, I mean, if, if you compare, Quail is massive, isn't it, in this? You know, um, again, like I say, if, if, if 2012 is totally relevant, then, you know, I might be in big trouble. But you go all the way down the top 10, the top 20, and Quail's everywhere. Um, top tens everywhere Ogilvy Scott Bubba Tiger they all play well at the Open don't they um, yeah. you know like you say you've, you've mentioned Donaldson and Hanson it, it, it's, it's there seems to be I don't know how many courses we can bring into this this is the problem I mean you know that I've done a sort of list of courses and a list of attributes that I thought and, and basically went a bit analytical and, and those that topped those charts or those that were prevalent in more those that were more prevalent in the charts than others <laughs> got the vote um, but you can bring up a number of courses, I think. Um, I've stuck with four. But, yeah, certainly. I mean, I don't think there's any harm in, in introducing open form to it. No, none whatsoever. I've got a lot of correlative courses. Sky, were there courses that kind of stuck out to you? I know that you're more maybe numbers approach as opposed to course fields and things like that. But just looking at the courses, so I Quail Hollow, you know, it's a long course, Carolina, um, similar sort of tests. And then I've got... PJ National for the wind. We've got the CIMB, Mayakoba and Corrales for the past Palum Greens, as well as the three on the European Tour that we've been talking about on YouTube over the last few months. Is there a course that kind of sticks out to you that you want to see someone been playing well at? Well, it's only been seen, you know, twice for the one that I'd prefer to think is the best corollary, and that would be Whistling Straits. Yeah. You know, the one that we have the distance at of a Pete design, a Pete die design at a major, you know, that, that to me is ideally the best comp. Now the ability to say what golfers were like in 2010 and 2015 now to 2021, is that the most appropriate comparison to see who plays well? You know, that's where the difficulty, you know, becomes because it doesn't seem the, the way I'd approach it in the sense is it's not, Beth Page and Wingfoot, even though the the scorecard might say that, but it's also you know not going to be Aaron Hills either, in my opinion, if if the conditions are up. So it's it's a little bit of that that mix where I think the correlations that everybody has said do make a lot of sense, but um, I haven't been able to put my finger on where I think is the perfect combination of these guys um, who are now teeing it up this week. I think I think you know, and me and Jason spoke before before you guys came on, and as I said, Western Straits because of the same sort of reasons you said it was the you know long peak die course used in a major rotation. When you look at 
the 2010 PJ Championship. Uh, Roy McIlroy was third. Dustin Johnson was fifth after his uh, his, his uh, debacle on the 72nd hole, which is no longer a factor. Uh, and Martin Keimer and Bubba Watson obviously contended the playoff, which Martin Keimer come up winning. Uh, ben, did, uh, I'm guessing, looking at the person that you have put in your selections, that maybe that, that course was something that came up in your research as well? Yeah, I have to agree with all of that. Um, I think Sky makes a great point. You know, we're talking about six-year-old form, so <laughs> you know, it, it can't tell us everything. But I, I think it's a very good starting point. I think it is a broadly similar test. Bubba Watson said they were the same, except one was by a lake and one's by the sea. <laughs> um, when we're talking about opens, and, and this very much runs through my selections, I, I don't think I necessarily explained it very well in my preview, actually. But um, there are two courses on the open rotor which um, Jordan Spieth talked about in 2019 at Portrush. He, in his press conference before the tournament, um, he said that the Portrush reminded him of Birkdale, where he won in 2017, um, because it's a pure links course, but you can't actually play the ball on the ground. Yeah. Um, you have to fly it in because a lot of the greens are raised, and you just there's something preventing you from from playing those lower traditional open championship shots, and Although we didn't know it at the time, um, you know, we go on to, to Sunday and Tommy Fleetwood, who was born and raised playing Birkdale, finished second. But he also touched upon the similarities between the two. Um, so that leads me to Fleetwood and Lowry, who I'm sure we'll come to later. But it, but it also very much led me to Jordan Speed. So I think that was um, one of the more interesting course links. But I think Pete Dye is one of those, like because he has a good body of PGA Tour courses, we probably look at him a little bit closer than we do certain other designers, right? It's yeah. quite an easy thing to do. But I also think, in fairness, um, Pete Dye's, I don't know, fingerprints, if you like, is across all of his courses, right? There's, they are all distinctive in their characteristics. They all reflect his philosophy, what he liked to do to players. And I think that does separate him from someone like Jack Nicklaus, who with the best will in the world, you know, all these Jack Nicholas courses in Korea um, and in, you know, in, in Scotland at Glen Eagles, how much of an impact did he have? How, how involved was he in these design processes? I don't know. It will vary from course to course. But I think Pete and Alice die, and, and let's not underestimate his wife's role in, in certainly this course and Sawgrass. Um, it sounds like she was the brains behind the operation. Um, you know, that when you see one of their courses, in some way, it's reminiscent of another one of their courses. And therefore, I think it is important that we at least consider it as a factor. It, it's an interesting point you make, uh, the, the quote that you dug up there from Jordan Spieth, that I have not found myself personally, and, and I all credit you for doing that. If, if that... I, I was in the room when he said it, so I can't oh, there forget you go. it. <laughs> there I've been you in a room go. with Jordan Spieth, you don't forget that. No. And... <laughs> There's one name that when you talk about Burtdale, and it, it was agony because I was actually at the event and we were on, was it the 13th or 14th hole where he was down by the tour truck and he was there for God knows how long it was, 40 minutes. And uh, he made he made his bogey or part, I can't remember that exactly what it was, but it looked like he was going to be in trouble and he got out of it, intruded on speed style and then kicked on and won. And uh, my dad had had a bet on Matt Kuchar and hadn't told me about it until that very hole when he realised that it was all going to go down the pan. Um and, and his name kind of sticks out now because when we talk about the courses we spoke about, he's won at the Honda Classic, uh, he's won the Players' Championship, which is a Pete Dye course, uh, the Heritage, the Carolina Pete Dye. Uh, he's played in the wind, won in the wind in Hawaii most recently, uh, My Cobra Golf Classic, uh, the Paspalum Green. So that's just a name jumping way ahead of all of the market, Jason, as someone that you backed last week um, that, that maybe we could take a second look at as we talk. Absolutely. Yeah. 
mean, you've covered it. You've covered it. I've got nothing else to say to it other than what you've said, mate, to be honest with you. Let, let's look. So we, we're kind of... I think we're all in agreement that we have to respect Roy McIlroy's chances without potentially thinking that we need to back him. Um, I think we've all kind of got reasons as, as to why we're not. Um, like everyone has said, if, if he does go on to win, then then great, because I think that it's good for the game of golf, as it has been with Jordan Spieth's resurgence. Jason, John Rahm is the second favourite. Um, and I and I don't particularly get that personally. Um, it wouldn't be for me, apart from the fact that I guess it's the, the consistency factor of he generally keeps appearing. and But I, I just don't think it's there yet for him to win on this week. Yeah, I mean, I took I took four criteria, uh, which Ben doesn't agree with probably, <laughs> which was off the tee, driving distance, tee to green and greens in rec. Um, the greens in rec probably more important than the, than, than the driving distance, but I did. Um, and I listed the top 20, 25 or so um, for all those. And there were three players that appear in all four lists. And then I moved on to what I thought were relevant course form. Um, one of them is John Rahm, who appears in all four of those lists. The problem is he's got very little in what we consider correlative form. He hasn't done it yet um, in a major. Um, I still doubt his um, temperament. Uh, when he, you know, when things start to go wrong, whether he can recover. As much as I actually really like watching him play, he is an annoying player to watch. Um, I, again, like you, I don't quite understand why he's um, second favourite at twelve to one. Um, I think if you were to take him at twelve to one and say that was right, then Rory becomes shorter. Uh, but as you said before we started, you think Ram is the wrong price, Rory's the right price, and I, I think I probably agree with you. Um, in fact, so much so that my uh, special that I've uh, pinged into the Sporting Life this week does oppose John Rahm, but we'll go into that a bit more later on. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I couldn't touch him at the price. Ben, my thoughts on John Rahm in the sense, and it's probably a lazy comparison because, you know, he's a compatriot, but what everyone says about John Rahm being associated to win a major is what people would have said for 20 years about Sergio Garcia, and it took him, you know, that long to go on and get it. Um it was in a PGA Championship, made a fine run at Tiger Woods and, and, and things like that. Do you, do you obviously, I guess it is a matter of when as opposed to if John Rahm wins a major, but can you see it being a long period of time without him winning one because of just, you know, just the, the talent level around him, just his own attitudes towards the games, you know, different things in his life? Is, is there anything that sort of screams to you that, that he could potentially face a long time without getting his first? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I could see him going his career without winning one. Of course I could. It, it's not to say I, I think that will happen. I, I tend to find those predictions really hard to make, you know, yeah. like I think it came up with Robert McIntyre the other day and, you know, <laughs> what exactly your long-term expectations are. And I know Jason's adamant at winning an open and I admire that. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing wrong with having that opinion, right? Um, but I, I definitely think we underestimate how difficult these things are to win and everyone who doesn't win one. Um, you know, and most players don't win one. So, um, yeah, I, I think, of course, I think he'll win a major. I, I, he'd probably win one very soon. You know, he's got Tory Pines next month, for goodness sake. Um, you know, be favourite for that if he's playing well going in. Um, I think now, you know, he his last two performances have been his worst in 10 months-ish, a bit less maybe. Um, and I don't think that's reflected in the market. When you consider someone like Dustin Johnson has had a couple of quiet... Okay, it's a, a little bit longer, his, his run of... Uh, unsatisfying golf um 
but he's gone from seven to one with some firms anti-post this for, to 20s and rama's gone from like you know 10 11 to 1 to 12 to 1 um for a missed cut and a 35th or whatever he was in texas last week whereas approach play by the way was really poor so yeah i i couldn't consider him this week um and i would just yeah make that point that you you did really tom that it's no foregone conclusion he could go his entire career without winning one um but I hope he does win one because he's got he's got magic in his hands, isn't he? He's a great player, and um, I I I think essentially um, he, he's got the game that you would think translates well everywhere. You know, he's one of the. I, I don't want to be as simplistic as to say you know you wouldn't have thought Bryson will ever win an Open, perhaps at St Andrews. John Rahm, I think we all could see winning at Royal St George's this year, and um, yeah, he, you know he'll almost certainly win one. But there is uh, there is that almost. It just feels like to me as well. I know, I know he's been there. I know he's been within three shots of the lead after the third round at the PGA Championship. Uh, and Sky, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but it feels like he hasn't really been in the fight for a major championship in the sense that he's he's had the experience of being there and getting in the places, and he's looked like he's had chances to win at Augusta and places like that. But it feels like he hasn't actually. It's been down to him and one other or anything like that, like Hideki and and Wills at Augusta or you know, Patrick Reed and, and Ricky Fowler. It doesn't feel like it's been like that. It feels like he's just kind of been there and got his way in without actually really experiencing the, the, the real pressures yet. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to, to say that, you know, he's walked away from Augusta with four consecutive top tens, that would probably surprise, you know, most people because maybe he sniffed that, that, that leaderboard a little bit would have been the 2020 or, or 19 when Tiger won, I think, um, might have been around there a little bit, but um, yeah, it, it's just I, I I think Jeff Feinberg uh, on the Mayo Show made made a great point when it came to some um, winners, uh, the first time major winners, saying the prices that correlated with them. When we see you know Rom's body of work, of course he deserves to be priced here, but if the majors are going to see him in the the teens, especially the lower teens. I'm just going to side with with other people that are in this range, or if I'm going to be bang on for a a debutant winner, um, you know, like like the Morikawa would have been last year, you know, that to me or somebody else I'm very very fond of, you know, a little bit deeper. I just can't be betting, you know, non-major winners at these numbers. I think um, each time it comes up. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that it is, it's just, and one of the things I did a whole sort of show on majors with Charlie Ford last year that I think they're almost major victories are overrated in, in a player's career Jason I don't know if you agree that it's kind of it's almost seen as if you didn't win a major you're a failure and you look at Colin Montgomery and he won seven or eight order of merits in a row you know won pretty much everything there was to win apart from a major championship uh, Lee Westwood's done what he's done throughout a career not one one Steve Strick has had a very successful career there's been a lot of people that have had very fine careers and there's only four majors of a year. You know, you can normally block one out because you can't be informed for all four of them at the same time. Um, so I think there's always one. So you've maybe had three, two, three realistic chances each year of winning one. Um, and, and careers are not as long as, as you maybe think. So I, I just don't know, Jason, if you agree with it. It's just a hard thing to, to bind someone to as, as a success in their career. You're defined by the majors, aren't you? Whether you think it's right or wrong. Um, I remember that. It was a good interview, actually. That. Well done, Tom. Thanks. Um, it was, you know, um, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, the, the old story. No one remembers second. Um, you know, we all spoke about that. I know, you know, dusting through those away. 
um, those kind of majors. They had major, ch- you know, they had major chances in. Um, <laughs> but when he eventually did it, like you say, it was a monkey off his back. He, exactly what you said earlier on. Um, completely changed him. Completely changed the way people looked at him. Um, and therefore, yes, I mean, as I say, rightly or wrongly, it does define them. That, you know, can you win, you know, a hundred tournaments and not win a major, um, and still be seen in the same light? as somebody that wins one uh, for me yes but um you know history dictates that that's what people judge you on so um it's important uh, and if you're not going to win a major you better be damn good and win a hell of a lot of regular events i'll throw in a quick line tom if i can um last, last year when there was no sport and i had nothing better to do i did a little feature with data golf who i'm sure most of your listeners are aware of if not uh, Google them and, and, and use their website. It's fantastic. Um, they they run models on all sorts of things, and I asked them to run some numbers on players like John Rahm. Their assessment, and it was a, a you know a, a lot of imponderables factored in, was that he was about 90% likely to win a major in the next 20 years. Um, they put it at 60% that he'd win one in the next five years, so they have a factor that after that he begins to get slightly worse, right? So, um, yeah, you, you, that sounds 90% high, obviously, but that means... 10 to 10% chance a nine to one shot that he does not um, win a major. And to translate that to this week, it is more likely uh, that Rahm fails to win a major than it is that Rory McIlroy wins this tournament. So it gives you some context there about how difficult it is uh, for even one of the best players of his generation. Yeah. I mean, and, and when you, when you believe like, it's startling, I, I just, I just think, and I'd go slightly off top of here for, for 30 seconds because I feel like a sentence I want to get in, is that I remember a, a tweet just after the match play where someone said it's an absolute certainty that Kevin Kisner has to be picked for the Ryder Cup um, because of his... Kit Alexander. He won't mind me saying it, Tom. <laughs> Kit Alexander. He, you know, he, he likes to be judged by what he says. He, he'd be fine with it. And 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 I just think that we get we get so wrapped up in certainties like he has to be picked they have to win a major and, and this is golf and there's so many intangibles to these sort of things that that leads to them never happening and I, I guess it's just it just seems to me that until someone's done it there's no point in trying to speculate when they're going to do it and how they're going to you know you have to we are doing that every week but you to, to start talking certainties when it comes to golf seems very uh, very difficult to me I agree with that. If I'm um, sorry to keep talking, but the, the other thing, like we shouldn't forget as well that, you know, take the betting and the prognosticating out of it. Like that's part of why we love sport, isn't it? You know, yeah. like Kit in that moment um, was, you know, was really into Kevin Kisner's brilliant performance on that day. And it's the same, you know, again, to go back to McIntyre, the Sky commentators get carried away. They absolutely have gone overboard in their coverage, but it's because <laughs> they are excited that there's a Scottish kid who could be really good. So to some degree, but obviously our job is kind of to remove all the noise and, and try and be a bit more realistic, I guess. Let's go to someone that we've, we've been excited about for for the last few years. And, and Ben, looking at your uh, preview, you're very excited about the chances of Jordan Spieth this week at Kiowa Island. Yeah, I, I think I needed a little bit more convincing ahead of Augusta. I thought, like, um, you know, I wasn't against him at Augusta, but I just felt it almost felt too perfect. Like, he won the week before in Texas. Now he's going to go and win the Masters. And it, it almost felt like it was happening too soon. And um, he's only played once since the Masters, and it was last week. But in a strange way, having that little break, which we, we've since learned was forced uh, because he, he uh, tested positive for coronavirus, um, having that little break might just have helped and he's come back and I, I thought it was a really good chance to really see whether this is real whether Jordan Spieth is to, for want of a better word back um, and I think 
he, he did enough last week to convince me. He was a bit rusty around the greens, but um, his iron play remains brilliant. He's uh, he's gaining strokes off the tee, not much, but that's all he needs. And he's doing everything well. Um, so none of that is particularly, um, you know, revelatory. It's all it's all right there in the form book. For me, it was then that you look at the the courses where um, where I was looking to. Certainly, uh, Birkdale was one of them where he was um, a brilliant and dramatic winner in 2017. Whistling Straits, where he was second to Jason Day. And my overriding memory from that was that he, Day sort of left him behind from the tee. And I think, obviously, at the time, Day was about the best player in the world. But you, you, you go to this course where it's just a little bit more of an all-round test, I think, uh, which will suit him. Uh, you know, he's a winner at TPC River Islands as well, which gives a nice uh, extra flourish of Donald Ross, uh, sorry, peak die form watch your designers um and yeah everything's in place the, the thing i really like here is that you know when McElroy won again we don't have strokes game what we do know is he missed a third of his greens uh, but he got up and down 75 percent of the time he was the best scrambler in the field now partly that's because rory's misses don't tend to be as big as other people's misses uh, but it also um, reminds us and i think if you watch the highlights you, you'll see it as well that he was really sharp around the greens not just that week but that year um you know his stats that you were really strong he won the honda classic the same year the same formula he was the leader in scrambling that week um and although Spieth's short game is a bit rusty last week if we expect to return to his normal um i really like how he chips and pitches off tight lies and, and to raise greens and the artistry, which he actually referenced in his interview last week. Um, I, I would say him, Justin Thomas and Patrick Reed are three of the ones I, I like to watch the most around greens, Shane Lowry and Sergio and a couple of others at bigger prices. But um, of those at the front of the market, I thought this test could be really, really good for him, providing it's not bombs away, because obviously that's that's the concession he makes to to the others at the the top of the betting but it's not like he's a short hitter is it and i think he can overcome that and uh, and potentially win what would be a career grand slam so yeah he's going for history and i kind of feel it's not talked about that much but uh, i think he can do it yeah i'm i'm hopeful yeah i think i think and i think that's uh event um dependent as well how much he's talked about because i think that him winning uh a green jacket and him winning the Claret Jug and him winning the US Open are all kind of more dramatic than him winning a PGA Championship because of the, the way it was, you know, it was always at the end of the season. Um, but I think, me and Jason spoke about this before, I think that the, the move to the, the start of the year, Jason, that's kind of that's kind of given this more relevance, I think, this event. I think that this course is really good for this event this week. Um, and, you know, if it comes to the 54 holes and Spieth has got a chance to, to get the Grand Slam, I'm assuming we'll hear a lot more about it then. I think it's massive that they've moved it. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic move. I, I always thought it was the one that was lobbed on the end. Um, it was the one with that, that um, it, in effect, was the major that you know you had a chance of winning because we've all we've played the three that matter. I think it's huge, absolutely massive, and um, it's a much more exciting tournament that it's moved those whatever it is three or four months um, forward in the calendar. Yeah, as for Jordan, yeah, you know, Sky will say exactly what he says every week the golf is a better place for jordan spieth playing well he's fascinating to watch incredible talent and uh yeah i i, I won't back him this week um but uh no, I have no problem in winning this at all no ways sky jordan spieth's chances this week how do you rate those well now that ben's put him up you know i think <laughs> it just gave a little bit of uptick um with the heater he's on but yeah i mean all the chances in the world you know it's i i have to I do my best to stay within myself and, you know, Tom, we, we talk about it every, every week on, on the European tour and, and I, you know, kind of approach it 
many times um, on, on the PGA side too is I'm rarely betting golfers, I think under 20 to one. Um, and maybe it's my own downfall. Um, you know, I, I tend even in these bigger, bigger fields and, and bigger chances at major championships to, to still approach it with a standard card for me, which doesn't start, you know, into the, the 25s for, for this week. But um, it, it's often because I, it's so close between multiple golfers under that range that I feel unless it's dead set on somebody that, you know, my conviction has to be all the way there. And I wasn't able to decipher that for, for some of these golfers up here. You know, you could, you could make the same, you know, argument for, for Justin Thomas, you know, if the putter cooperates, I think with what he could do here, um, you know, of course, you know, what, what we say with speed is, is very evident. And now the numbers have drifted on Dustin where, where maybe, you know, you, you do have the ability to bet, to bet both of them up here. Um, it's just all so close with the best golfers in the world that I often like the, the place value a little bit deeper, but man, it, it would be something for, for speed to continue this triumph and, and break through with the Wanamaker and complete the slam. Yeah, hundred percent. And I tend to agree with you in the sense that I think it's hard to separate the guys up here. Um, Bryson, I think is the one that, I think he's he's the popular one to leave out because I think people there's a lot of people that want him to fail because of the way that he is. Jason, I know you're you're not quite as in the sense that you want him to fail, but you're very much against certain things. And I think that in terms of his around the green game, it probably wouldn't suit here. I think if he got way too windy, he, he's just he needs um, he needs it to be repetitive. I think he needs Thursday through to Sunday to be exactly the same conditions so he can just bed in his swing the way it goes. And I think if there was any changeable forecast throughout the day, I think that would throw him off. An awful lot, and and potentially that would be the one out of the out of the top five that I'd probably definitively draw a line through. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll always draw a line through. When I'm most, you know, to be honest, with you. yeah, he appears in three of the things, but that's no surprise. He's gonna he's gonna appear top of off the tee and driving distance. I mean, it's what he bases his entire his entire profile on. Even though we know there's a lot more to him, um, he does like letting us know. Apart from you know getting expensive planes at halfway. Um, which he, of course, managed to keep very quiet and not advertise in the slightest. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got a, he's got a progressive profile at Quail. Um, he's got bits and pieces elsewhere. I, I prefer others. Like you say, I don't think he... Um, for me, as always, um, he'll lose... Um, when, the, when the driving doesn't work and it just gives him an easy second shot, I think there's, there's far too many. You've mentioned Jordan, you've mentioned Roy, you mentioned quite a few there. Um, already, we haven't been through 90% of the field, no. um, that are just in inverted, you know, in comma, in inverted commas, are better from that situation. And therefore, if he's not going to absolutely, you know, overcome this with, with um, you know, with his drives and leave himself those chips, which means he doesn't have to work hard. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do in a major, and it's a hard thing to do, is, you know, if unpredictable wind comes. So, no, it's, it's, you know, absolutely not for me. So, move on. I, I, my first pick is Dustin Johnson this week. Uh, ben, I know you're sweet on his chances as well, so we'll get into him. Um, for me, it just felt like as soon as I saw his price creeping out, I just I just wanted to be on him. I think that we've seen it now with, with Rory, we've seen it with Brooks, Thomas. You know, they, they tend to get to a certain price, and, and it feels like they're going to win. Um, and, and that's not just the basis. There's an awful lot more into it. Um, he obviously, Western Australia, as you've already mentioned, he, he should have won there in 2010, could have won there. 2015, he played well there again, he finished seventh. Um, you know, 
he he didn't play very well here in, in 2012, but that was probably not the peak of his powers. Um, and he's just he's just won in a lot of places that, that really stick out to me. He's won the Travellers. He's played. He's improving at TPC Sawgrass, where somewhere that he wasn't necessarily great at before. He's won in the wind, at, you know, a few times at uh, Pebble. There's just certain things for me that there's a lot that I like uh, about him, and and I just couldn't really, you know, figure out what it was that that was to be against him. I know the form sheet doesn't look as great, you know, miscut the Masters. That tends to happen an awful lot for defending champions. Thirteenth for the Heritage, and forty-eight for the Valspar. But his ball striking has been. He's been pretty good, Ben, and, and it just generally seems to be around and on the greens that, that he's kind of struggled in recent weeks, which I don't think he's going to last very long. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, he's been first and third off the tee the last two tournaments, and I guess in the reverse of what we were saying about Rory at the top, um, that for me is the underlying strength of his game, and it's what you want to see. Now, I would like his approach play to have been a little bit better. It was a lot better um, last time out than, than on his start at the Heritage. Um, so it did take a nice step forward. And obviously, had it been better still last time, he wouldn't be the price he is. Um, 20 to 1, Dustin Johnson to win this tournament just seems wrong to me. I, I don't know. Is anyone's necessarily more likely to win it? Um, you referenced his performance here in 2012. That, that year, he ended it 23rd in the world rankings. That's his worst year-end world ranking since 2009. It was just a bad year. He still yeah. managed to win once, but you know, it, it wasn't a good year. Um, form all the right courses, as you said, and he, he just feels the wrong price. Simple as that. Um, and um, he, he's a good player in the wind. And if it does turn into a bombs away tournament like the 2019 version of this was, then it's nice to have at least one of those on your team, isn't it? So I, I almost went completely crazy and went for Thomas Peters, but I decided instead to go with the guy who wins major championships, which is Dustin <laughs> Johnson. Yeah, no, I completely agree with all that. Uh, Sky, any thoughts on Dustin Johnson? Yeah, I think Ben's Ben's latter point is the best about Dustin Johnson and the fact that if the course can play out, you know, two ways to if it, if it's benign all week long and we do see distance, you know, reign supreme when we showed up at Bethpage, you know, it was going to be Brooks and Dustin. It felt like the whole week, you know, that was what, you know, the, the course dictated. And if that that part if that a plays out okay dustin's very live if b plays out where it can be a difficult test it can be whistling straights you know in in 2012 um you know or 2010 like that that can be dustin's game too so i think he he fits both you know sides of the coin um which you know necessarily ben ben also brought up that you know spieth might not be able to when it's going to end up being the the other side. So yeah, the the drift of Dustin um, is a little bit surprising, and you know I, it's very sharp of you guys to be on it. Finally, uh, Jason, any thoughts on Dustin Johnson before we yeah, move? Can't on? can't argue really. You've all got you've all got salient points. Um, you, you you make the right point exactly the same. Brooks went out too big, went on one. Rory went out too big, went on one. Dustin's you can never see him going 25 or 33 can you for a tournament so he's probably at the maximum that he can go to unless he gets seriously injured um and yeah if it turns into if it turns into a slog um then yeah you know he, he's got to be right there isn't he um i'm slightly regretting going off him um <laughs> now but hey oh you know the price has gone now that ben's put him up probably anyway um oh he's still 20 isn't he yeah um it, it'll be on the it'll be on the cusp but um I'm going to let you win on him. I won't be on. 
the other thing to say tom just briefly is that i think some of the price drift is because he withdrew last week but yeah mm. uh, he was at Keor island on saturday you're, you're not practicing all day saturday if you've got a physical problem no. um you know in your home state you could be at home um it, you know i think the week before he was pictured doing somersaults off his jet ski wasn't he or whatever yeah, off his, off his yacht i mean i think he's okay He's fine. He's absolutely fine. He saw the weather forecast in Texas and thought, do you know what? I don't want to do that. I'm going to just go to Keor Island and practice in the sunshine. Yeah, I think there was a, a smart, shrewd decision there. Um, and it's easier to explain by saying you're injured, um, not to um, kind of say that he's lying. But I think he was. Um, we haven't really got the time to go for every single person in the field like we have just done with those uh, five or six there. Um, Xander Schauffele. Guys, I don't know if any of you are going to put him up, but I, I just think that, you know, in terms of what we've seen from Xander, I think he's almost going to be there or thereabouts. He tends, I think it's something ridiculous, like 50% of his majors, he's finished inside the top 10 or might even be bigger than that. Um, Jason, as, as the guy that's been very sweet on his chances of a major championship, have you almost kind of given up on the win equity of him so far? Yeah, he'll win the Masters. I mean, that's it. Not, in, not I've got no interest in, in him this week at all. Sandy, uh, Ben, anything on <laughs> Uh No, not really. You know, um, I thought he was the the right price, the price he should be. Um, yeah, if he wins, I, I will lose no sleep over that. I think he's one of the easiest ones to overlook. But equally, you know, he'd probably finish in the top eleven because that's what he does. Yeah, Sky, are you uh, rounding off the group with with the same sort of thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a trio, and and on the state side, you know, daily fantasy sports ends up, you know, being flipped with the popularity still as, as legalized sports gambling, you know, is still making its prominence on us in the United States. So, you know, somebody like Xander Shoffley, you know, at the price he is on DraftKings for the week, you know, is, is warranted, but in the outright markets, I, I completely agree with you guys. Victor Hovland for me is someone that it's the type of person that I generally fall in the trap of, of, I can't bet him because he's too short in a market. Um, and, and I'm struggling to really see reasons against him. He's finished tied third in his last two events, including at Wells Fargo, which we've been talking about at length. He's had the second at WGC in concession earlier in the year. Um, his two wins have come on the Paspalum Greens. I think, Ben, you actually sort of put a tweet out to say that he was the prince of Paspalum if someone else was king, which I quite liked. Um, to me, you know, his, his second place finish at Tory, you know, Coastal Track, sixth at Saudi, again, Paspalum Greens. Um I don't think there's an awful lot against Victor Hovland for this week, then. No, um, the only thing for me, and I, 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 there's no other way to say it. My, my anti-post portfolio is poor, so I'll get that out of the way. I do have Hovland at 50s. Um, that was at the end of December, and he's not won since, and he's 20s, 25s. Um, now, that's sort of a hyper-critical way to look at his form. He's obviously played exceptionally well for the most part this year. Yeah. You don't have to win to improve your chances. Um, but I, I do feel like the, the cat's out of the bag. And, and I think the Paspalum thing, it's, an, it's a nice thing to have if your guy's proven on it. But it, how do you value it? We have no strokes gain data for it, really, apart from on the European Tour. Um, we have, like... Yeah, he won the Puerto Rico Open. Did he win that because he loved Paspalum or did he win it because it was him <laughs> or Josh Teeter? Um, you know, like he won in Mexico. Yeah, a few decent players played in it. It's not because he loves Paspalum. It's because he's a really good player, right? So um, 
I thought the Pasplum thing is, and it's a great example where the price comes into it. At 50 to 1, when you're looking like, hmm, Hovland's 50s for all four majors next year. I think he, he, he's, he's almost ready to go and contend for one. Which will it be? Then we can look at that as a nice little, okay, that, that kind of makes some sense. But at 25, 22 to 1, you're, I need to know he holds the course record at Keor Island. And he, <laughs> he's been playing there every weekend for the last year. I, I think he looks very short, but I'm very fond of him. Um, I think his short game will get exposed. Yeah, and, and that was that was my, my thoughts, is that he's just too short. Jason, I, I tend to think that you probably agree on that. I, ju- I just think that his credentials in terms of the way he hits the ball, uh, you know, how he's played in, in similar sort of designs, you know, in his limited you know experience kind of strikes me as it, it's a perfect setup for him. He kind of gets called Rory Light an awful lot, which I think is maybe going a bit too far. But, you know, I, th- I think that it is purely just the fact that he's 25s and 22 to 1s that, that he's hard to, uh, to back. His figures are just unbelievable. He is, I just think he's magnificent. Um, he could have won four tournaments since he's won uh, the Mike Ober. Um, and, of course, we'd all be clambering over 25 to 1. Um, in fact, he hasn't, so to be fair, and he, he has had a couple of chances that, that he didn't take. Um, third at Quail Hollow in one outing, just outside top 20 at Harbour Town in one outing. Um, I think he might be a little bit naive to win a major at the moment. Um but, you know, I think he could win, even from now to the end of the season, he could win another three tournaments. I just think his ball striking is just stunning. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, 25-20, I think, you know, Ben normally makes the point that they're paying 11 places. So, what, you know, where can you go? We have to we have to chuck a few points off, don't we? Um, but having said that, compare him with Dustin Johnson, if Dustin Johnson is back, five points difference. There, there isn't really a comparison. But, yeah, I mean, Hovland, maybe not this week, but... Very, very, very soon indeed. And and on that note, Jason, I mean, he's 33s for the US Open, right? He played Tory Pines this year. I know the mm. setup was different and stuff. He, he, you know, he, he was brilliant. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was he was the one who looked like he might threaten Patrick Reed. So I know you're not going to get 10 or 11 places with that 33 to one, but uh, just for me, underlines that this Paspalum thing has become like a hugely important thing when in reality it's not. Sky, I've got the feeling this is where you start your card. It is. I've appreciated the positive support around the uh, round table so far, but it's all it's all valid points. It, it's just more to me that, you know, the the underlying ball striking, the improved around the green game, the Wells Fargo recent appearance, the, you know, ability that he has shown to ball strike incredibly well on Pete Dye designs and just uh, I think the general attitude that, that he has that I don't think contention, you know, really does get to him. Um, you know, he has played quite spectacular, you know, in, I guess maybe spectacular is, is a bit um, too generous to say, but overall, you know, his major performances have been quite consistent, you know, hasn't really been there all that much outside of, you know, realistically the, the, best major performance he has was when he was a low amateur at Pebble Beach you know when he he drove it better than anyone in the field and he still can drive it better than you know arguably anybody in the field on any given day and uh, I just think the, the the number of course is the the overwhelming argument against you know Ben with with the 50 to 1 you know an incredible value looking at it now you don't see steam much on golfers who didn't play the week before when you expect the readjustments from Sunday to Monday and to see, 
you know, Hovland go from 28s to 18s at some books here in the States it is quite, you know, unbelievable. Um, you know, sitting around at 25 for me, I, I would just kick myself too much if I wasn't there on it when everything points that direction more than maybe question marks. Um, but yeah, so it, it is where I start my card. Yeah, and, and that was the thing for me as well is I didn't know if I was kind of wanting to include him because of the fear of missing out. I think it's so obvious the claims that he makes. You know, you, you spoke there about his around the green games guy that he's gained strokes in the last sort of couple of starts with them. You know, 31st and 39th in the field is not spectacular, but that has always been his vice. And if that's something that he's kind of correcting and, and getting to like as you call it you know an even number it kind of is enough maybe to to take that negative away from it and i mean if you look at golfers compared to where they were prior to the covid break to where it is you know he is arguably a top five improvement if not top three improvement you know sam burns is another example of somebody who has significantly improved at around the green game obviously one you know at the valspar almost won again yesterday uh, Max Homa, another one who has seen incredible leaps and bounds with his, you know, around the green game. And, and it's still fractions of strokes, you know, an improvement of 0.2, 0.3 per round and around the green. And it's how many of those opportunities do you come across with and how noisy is the around the green stat at the end of the day? You know, could you see somebody, you know, get up and down like Hideki did at the Masters? Um, and, and that's your, that's your week, you know, and I would say opposing the argument is Victor Hovland. The only time we do have strokes gained out of him putting on past Palom greens was losing strokes in Saudi, you know, that, that actually he has appeared another time on it. So I, I'm not just banking on, you know, him being lights out on these type of greens, but, um, potentially a slower surface could, could, you know, bring a lot of these or putters, I guess, into play. But um, yeah, I just think it, it's a, a compelling argument that is being widely pushed. Yeah, completely agree with that. I'm going to start going in sort of, sort of groups of players now, and then if people have got sort of something to say on them, then uh, the, the feel free. We've got Colin Morikara at 30 to 1 as the defending champion, Patrick Reed at 35s, Daniel Berger at 35s, 30s, Hideki Matsuyama, the Masters winner at 40s. And everyone's favourite, uh, you know, non-major winner Tony Finau at forty to one. Um, Jason, I come to you first. Any of those that kind of stuck out to you as, as potential chances? I mean, to be honest, no, I didn't really look seriously at them. Um, replay, you know, reads obviously if it comes down to a, a scramble, but I, I'm sure this is going to be too long for him. I really am. Berger again played fantastic over the weekend, back to form. Looks too short to me. Um, Hideki's going to finish twentieth, isn't he, Tom? Yeah, got um, time. And Finau, yeah, I mean, obviously he's got the length and he's got, he has got the approach game, but he doesn't look particularly all there to me. And this isn't a tournament I can see him. If they'd have shoved this in in October where it used to be and it's the anybody can win it tournament, fair enough. But um, with everybody hopefully coming in, in reasonably top form, um, he's struggled to win lesser tournaments, isn't he, enough times now. Um, so he's not for me. So, no, uh, to be honest, I'd look at Reed somewhere running, I think, if he if he was a big enough price. Um, and it turned out to be a real grind. But to be honest, yeah, I mean, Matsy Armour actually played quite well, um, um, quietly over the weekend, really. Um, he'd be of interest at 40s. I certainly think he's a better bet out of all of them than, than you know, Morikara at 28 or, you know, and definitely Fina at 40. So of them, I'll stick my, you know, mast on Matsy Armour, but um, not no real interest now. My 
My only thing with, with Fee now, there's two sides to him. One, I think he's just lost his form at, at the worst time. Um, the other thing I would say is that he generally plays probably better in these conditions that could come this week than, than maybe he's given credit for. He sort of hung around there with, with Tommy and Shane at the Open, Ben um, at Royal Point Russian. And that would be my only advice. I mean, the one for me that stood out was Daniel Berger, just because of the form that he's in, uh, where he plays well, the Travellers, the Honda, the, the players, RBC Heritage, he, everything fits. Um, but I think that his price is coming based on what he did last week. Yeah, and more to the point, maybe just what he did on Sunday, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you're losing five points off the price for one round of golf. It feels a bit harsh. If you thought he was in the wrong position already and, and you were just looking for that excuse to go and play, then fair enough. But uh, he wasn't for me. But, he, you know, I think if Berger were to win, suddenly you could back fit and say, look, um, PGA Championship goes to a recent winner who's not won a major and is in their 20s and that's Daniel Berger right so yeah. um, there are a lot of positives but he, he is what he is um, I did I did consider Reed quite strongly actually um, I totally appreciate what Jason's saying about the length of the course the one thing I would say if you look at where he's won he's won at Doral um, where you know gem generally speaking bombs away uh, he's won at Torrey Pines extremely long he's won at Augusta which not quite as long but has always been a course where people tend to maintain you need a good deal of distance um, and he's won at Bethpage which is really long and hard so um, yeah he'll need it to be a week where everyone's missing you know at least one in four greens which is what it was uh, in 2012 and if it is i think he's got a chance i, I think he's about where you'd expect him in the market um i agree with jason on matsuyama like i looked at, at him a couple of times because i guess there's just that thing like can you really win back-to-back -back majors when you just won your first and it's a huge thing for your country um it feels like it would be an enormous achievement almost even more significant than winning the masters but if you take the guy who just won the masters so impressively um and is someone who we've always expected to be good enough to win majors and be one of the best four or five players in the world at his best then 40 to 1 um could look big couldn't it but um yeah it generally reed and matsuyama but not not really of interest the one thing i'll say about hideki matsuyama is somewhere along the line firestone came up to me as something that was of interest amongst the other 20 courses that are worth mentioning um ben you, you've obviously gone with shane lowry this week uh rory was, was the winner here in 2012 keegan bradley was up there he's won and finished second on that golf course um steve stricker's played well there Bubba watson finished second to shane lowry um the, the the names that we're kind of talking about playing well here kind of played awfully well at that golf course i'm not really sure what the correlation is but that that might be just be enough to, to put someone in at 40 to 1. It's just, like you say, that kind of thing in golf where people don't think you can go back-to-back -back on any given week, let alone the Masters to the PGA Championship when you're a, a national hero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as far as Firestone goes, I don't think it's the worst thing to look at. Um, I think the fact that they're both long and hard pretty much sums yeah. it up. You know, I think often we, when we're doing course correlations and stuff, it's tempting to want to look at the aesthetics. And really, I think in the main, you should ignore that and just look at the, who who you see and if you yeah. keep seeing the same guys then who cares what they look like absolutely sky anything on that, that group of players there no i think all all very reasonable points all variable reasons why none of us are are on them um you know it, it does you know interest me in the sense of we we do talk around the green game and how relative it's it is at augusta how relative it is here in importance and, you know, Patrick Reed's around the green game actually is what cost him the green, a shot at the green jacket almost this year, which was very anti-typical, you know, 
uh, untypical of what you would see out of him with his approach game, the best it has been, you know, in quite some time. And, and you know, the around the green game, let him down where he is, um, someone you can rely in that sense. Yeah, I just don't think it's enough for me to to be there with the full game that is needed. So, yeah, I, I go back a little bit deeper into the next range of golfers for a couple picks here, which I think are, are just as likely to win. So in, in this next range, we've got Cameron Smith, Patrick Cantley, Brooks Kepka, Webb Simpson, Scotty Scheffler, and Will Zalatoris. Sky, if there are any of those people that you've picked there, I'll let you lead off. Well, I appreciate the uh, the at bat here. It's uh, a couple of them, and it shouldn't be all that much of a surprise. Um, you know, one of them, actually, probably both of them. Um, we'll start with you know the the best major player in the last you know five six years, and what <laughs> Brooks Kepka has done. You know, is is unbelievable, and you know, unquantifiable in so many senses of of the way he shows up at major championships and. Again, did, does drift get the best of you? Do you think in the moments of the numbers ahead of you? Yeah. And, of course, injury question marks, you know, recent form, intermittent question marks. Um, you see the drift on, on Dustin Johnson to, to 20. We saw the drift of Brooks Kepka to, to 33s, you know, 28s at the Masters and, and to see 45s and, and 50s out there. Um, is quite remarkable um, for somebody who, you know, was spectacular off the tee last week. And if I could pick, you know, probably what I think the, the most important stat will be is, you know, you're still, no matter if you're long or straight, you know, or preferably both, you're going to need to to lead in some sense, I think, you know, a, a, a very consistent game off the tee. And Brooks showed that both at the Masters and last week at the Byron Nelson. Irons were not there. Uh, putter was not there, but both times around the green, which if I would, you know, argue would be the second stat that we've talked about, you know, that combination has been there for Brooks in both the returns. He made a quick pit stop on his way back from Tennessee to see his, a, a different swing coach um, when it came to Kiowa um, there. So he spent two days in Kentucky gearing up, um, and I think his coach was Jeff Pierce um, in Kentucky, you know, hopefully fine tuning a little bit of the iron game and, and shows up at a number in a major that I tell myself I'm going to back, you know, almost all the time. So I'm there with him and, you know, no surprise that the second selection of that bunch for me is the kid that I think, you know, is, is the best of the bunch in, in my opinion. Um, you know, when you loop them in with the other golfers of, of, leading up here of the age and it's it's will zalatoris man i mean he is just so good with the irons led the field by almost a full stroke last week at the byron nelson almost a perfect you know tune-up of what you would like to see you know Berger did it with everything on sunday and got slashed zalatoris did it with everything but the putter on sunday and didn't see the same you know movement back you know he's back to the numbers that you saw for him you know when he finished second at the masters going into that Saturday night, you know, I was able to get a 66 and, and now the fifties and sixties presents itself again. Um, and I mean, the two major performances that are, are widely talked about, you know, sixth U S open second, you know, at the masters, but people do forget, um, he does have a third major appearance, uh, to his name. And it is at Shinnecock where on that Friday of Shinnecock, you know, he was way out of it on, on, um, Thursday, but on Friday, led the field in strokes gain approach there. I believe he had 17 of 18 greens on a day that was destroying P 
people. You know, he, we knew this talent always existed, and it's it's fun to see this meteoric, you know, rise of what it is. And and I think being a top three ball striker in the field at this price is is something I'm salivating over. Yeah, and and I was speaking to Jason before we came on, and I sort of said that Zadatoris caught my eyes, gone out to to seventy to one on our, our exchange over here. Um, and for me, I said exactly the same thing. You know, he led the field last week in approach. He was third in tee to green, um, and his putter lit him down, which is kind of the story of his career. And and it's now because his ball striking is so much better, and he and he's so full of confidence that the putting isn't holding him back to to decent results. It's probably holding him back from actually getting that win on on the PJ Tour. But um, like you say, he's at a second and a sixth in the most recent major championships, and. Apart from looking like the fact that he could get blown over by a strong gusts at Kiowa Island, I don't think there's many negatives around him. I think I suppose if, you, if you've got to look for one, it's the the around the green game. Um, it, you know, is potentially a weakness for him. But I, I think that I think it's going to be a weakness for a lot of guys this week. I think there's just there's there's a lot to kind of um, to do around the greens, and there's a lot to happen on on the greens as well. And I, and I think not everyone can be good at everything. Otherwise, as you say, they would win every week. Jason not said every week, so. Yeah, I really liked Will Zalatoris, and I completely take the points about Brooks Kepka. Ben, any thoughts on, on those two selections and that group as a whole? I, I certainly wouldn't talk anyone out of either of them, really. Um, one interesting thing about Zalatoris is he's kind of the reverse Hovland in some ways. If you look at his odds for the US Open, uh, he's 25 to 1 with some bookmakers over here. 28, 25, 40 is the best price. You can only get it with two firms. That's with six places. You can have... 55 to 1 with eight places and 50 to 1 with 10 places for the tournament this, this week um, mm. when you know he's playing well. And the reason for that is he played Tory Pines really well um, in finishing seventh in January, but um, so did Hofland. So it's a, it's <laughs> another good little example of how, um, you know, different things cause different ripples, don't they? And, and with him, I think there's probably just a feeling that, oh, we probably doesn't want it windy and this might be a bit too mature of a test for him. I think probably um, not too much to worry about. I, I, I certainly wouldn't talk anybody out of Will Zalatoris at 55 to 1. He's, he's, he's going to the top, isn't he? So why not? And, and I thought that you'd potentially include Brooks Kepp for yourself, Ben, but is it the injury that, that concerns you? Is, is there anything else that kind of raises flags for you? Yeah, just the injury, really. And it, um, Sky's right. He drove it really well last week. And there, so it's not like there's nothing to go on. Um, there's just as much to go on as there was when he when he won in Phoenix earlier in the year. Uh, I, I, He just didn't, you know, quite do it for me. Um, but it's Brooks Kepka and you're getting 45 to 1. A good reminder never to say, oh, we'll never get this price again. You might. It <laughs> yeah. just might require a dislocated kneecap, but you might. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Jason, and your thoughts on that group of players there? Yeah, it's just, uh, Brooks is the same price, isn't he, as he went off at Phoenix, 45, isn't it? Not? I'm pretty yeah. sure he was 45 to 1. Yeah, can't argue. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, Zalatoris is another one. You, you, you know, Ben's already mentioned the Hovland thing. Um, fascinating to see how they, they cope with you know what could be a test um, against some really hardy um, opponents, but yeah, absolutely fascinating. Fifty-five could look very, very big, couldn't it? Especially, well, you know, the place terms are even, you know, fantastic. It's very, very difficult to to argue against him being up there. Um, yeah, fascinating. Let's watch, let's watch him, watch him and Hovland, and and you know, that's the future of golf, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. It, it's it's so sorry to stab you on Zeldorf, uh-huh. but it's it's almost it's basically so he's he's gained 
around the green and putting in one, two, three events, four, if you include the masters on the numbers that have were, were calculated and every single one of those is a top seven finish inside the places, you know? So he did it on the biggest stage. His around the green game is, is why he got second at the masters. You know, he, he did like that. I think is overlooked how, how well he, he really did chip it, how well he putted it. Um, you know, a couple of those days, I mean, could have he made a few more of those, um, shorties? Yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, just that short game when it clicks together, it's like an automatic top 10 for somebody at those odds. And, and you could probably say that about, you know, Keegan Bradley or, or someone, you know, maybe a little bit deeper too, but man, what the heights Zalatoris has when, when all of those across the board come together on one week, you know, it's, it's lights out. And I, and I think he's got that, that hidden kind of attribute of confidence and, and a little bit of swagger about him. I mean, he strikes me as a type of person that we, Jason talks about Bruce Kepka and Dustin Johnson, the way they walk. I think he's kind of similar. He hasn't quite got the yet because he hasn't got the, the presence of the, of the major wins behind him, but he kind of has that inner belief in himself just from talking to him last year. He just, he was basically said, you know, I want to win the Masters one day. And it was very much, it wasn't, oh yeah, I'd quite like to. He, he that was adamant. It was his goal. And, and you, and you believed when he said it and, and he's gone on to do just that nearly in, in, in the space of six months. So yeah, I think there's, there's plenty to like about him. Ben, we're coming up to your a couple of groups of your players now. Um, between Abraham Anser, Tyrrell Hatton, Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood, Ustazen, and Mark Leishman. Um, this is the area of your uh, of, uh, an English or British backer of golfers. This is where you're looking at your card. And, and Ben, you've got a couple in here. Yeah, I, I liked all of that group to some degree. I think a lot of people have cottoned on to Tyrrell Hatton as a potentially big price for what is he, world number nine and two-time Dunhill Links winner, won the Arnold Palmer, you know, tough conditions, certainly not a problem and all that stuff. And I, I was definitely tempted by him. Um, he's not played since he got COVID at the Zurich and it, it's not ideal. I, I don't think it's a big thing. I, I doubt he's been seriously ill, but, um, you know, it's not ideal to have not seen him again since. I, I think it was just enough to put me off. Um, I like Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, won't surprise anybody, I don't think. I, I do think we're getting compensated with the price for all the, the small negatives. I think it's fair to say that he's not been at his best this year. I think it's a testament to how consistent and how good he is that he cannot be at his best, play 11 times and have three chances to win. Um, Abu Dhabi, third going into the final round. Uh, Quarter-finalist in the match play, you know, he looked like he might win that. Um, obviously, didn't work out for him. Um, and also Bay Hill, where through three rounds, I think he was two shots back. So, um, yeah, it's he, he's definitely not been at his best. But I, there was enough in 14th place at Quail Hollow um, to, to encourage me. I think one of the underestimated aspects of his game, for people who are maybe more casual viewers of golf, would be his, his chipping and his pitching. He's, he's really, really good. Um, you know, he his best performances in the US in majors have come at Erin Hills and Shinnecock and they're very different courses but they're the challenge around the greens is is probably somewhat similar um and as i said um burkdale and, and port rush i thought were, were both interesting as sort of links courses where you, you play it in the air um i also like the golf national i think if you look at that that collection of european players who were close here in 2012 donaldson peter hansen um david lynn 
a couple of others, Ian Poulter, Justin Rose, Graham McDowell. Um, all of those have been in the top five at Le Golf National. And okay, it's again, very different, very aesthetically different. People do say it's similar to Sawgrass, which of course is a peak die design. But really the test there is about, um, you know, overcoming some demanding tee shots where you're forced to hit it over a hazard or whatever, or, um, you know, you're forced into that awkward decision and you have to find some level of comfort. Uh, and the other challenge is a consistent breeze um, in Paris. So, um, yeah, all those things pointed towards Fleetwood. And as I said, 14th last time was just enough. I'll be very brief on Leishman. He's obviously playing well. He's a winner technically this year, having won the Zurich Classic. Um, he was fifth in the Masters. A lot of major champions had at some stage in the recent past nearly won a major. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say he nearly won a major, but he obviously had a very good chance to over the weekend at Augusta. He's got a great record on Lynx golf courses, on exposed golf courses. He says he will like it here, and he did like it here in 2012. Um, and although his around the green stats are poor, my theory, at least, is that so much of the time he's chipping and pitching out of really heavy rough. Um, when you put him on a tight lie, I think he's brilliant. And, and I think we saw that at TPC Louisiana. Uh, we certainly saw it at Augusta. And if we see it this week, everything else about his game is, is fine if he can just keep it in play off the tee. Absolutely. A really great roundup there for those guys. And uh, one person I, I didn't think I'd talk about, which, but after you sort of mentioned him there, I, I kind of want to elaborate on uh, is Cyril Hatton, is, is kind of someone that I. I just kept looking at his major results, and I just kept going. He just, he just misses a cut. He misses a cut in WGC. Misses a cut in the players, and it just, it just really put me off. It like, it just wasn't, he wasn't doing it on the biggest stage, despite the fact that we knew he had that kind of killer instinct. He was winning at Bay here. We, you know, won with confidence in the European Tour. It just really bugged me that he wasn't getting those big performances. And then he finished 18th at, at the Masters, Jason. And I just wondered whether that kind of I know a lot of it was a good final round. He shot 68, and, and that sort of climb out the table. Um, did anything? Did it change your mind at all about Tyrrell Hatton and, and what we've said about him in previous major championships? Um, no, I, I think I think the point's been made. I think the tougher it gets, um, the more he'll thrive. Um, it, it again, it's, it's a very big price for somebody that was doing what he was doing what just a couple of months ago, um, and obviously won the AP. Um, he's not he's not in my thing, but there are a few, a bit like Brooks Kepka, I suppose. Um, they got to a price in terms of their world ranking and their ability in, you know, in top grade in certain conditions that, that makes them appealing. But, but, you know, as always, how many can you back? Um, just just of that group, um, as you know, uh, you know, I really like Mark Leishman this week. Um, isn't, you know, right at the top of the betting, but he is in my final six or whatever, six or seven or whatever it is. Um, you know, Ben's who've been mentioned, Ben's been mentioned Burkdale 2017 all night, but didn't mention the tied the tied six that he got over there. Um, 13th at Quail Hollow, yeah, ninth at um, the, the Heritage, eighth at the Players, playing really, really well. He was totally out of form, wasn't he, until he hit uh, 13th in last year's, or not last year's, the previous Masters, the Winter Masters, if you like. Um, went on a tiny little bit of a slump. It wasn't really a slump, but went on a tiny slump again before the Masters this time. Obviously, won that. Um, Zurich funny competition and yeah I, again the harder it is the more he'll thrive so so depending on conditions Leishman and Hatton but definitely Leishman Leishman's in my book on Betfair and uh, I'm happy to have him Sky any thoughts on that group of players there yeah all compelling points um, around golfers uh, that I think if if their game is right I mean you mentioned Leish you know if he is able to drive it you know accurately enough and and 
you know, long enough to, to be in contention, of course. And, and a golfer that I, I'm siding with on this side of the game is, is one you don't question with off the tee. It's, again, it, will the short game cooperate? And a golfer that normally I find gets a little bit too low for potentially um, markets that I'm in and, and one that 50s to 66s did show itself over the last, um, you know, 48 hours or so. And it's Abraham Answer. You know, a 12 strokes gained tee to green at the Wells Fargo. And again, we brought this up at the top of the show. I, I did. You know, Rory won that out of the preferred wave. You know, he beat Answer by one stroke, giving up the one on 18, of course. But Answer did come out of that uh, AM, PM wave uh, opposite of Rory that, you know, was just crushed. You know, two strokes deficit to have you know you again you even it up and you know answer does win that tournament and this is 33s and you know it's a different ball game and a different conversation but he arguably should have won the Valspar with his career best putting that he did have there um and and one thing Abe does well is he is behind Justin Thomas as the second best on tee to green from a tee to green standpoint on the Pete Dye tracks um you know it's something where you know those kind of show up and this is Abe's you know kind of jam you know, 26 rounds on those, gaining over two strokes per round, tee to green, a, a majority of those coming between off the tee and approach, things you don't have to question, things we need here this week. And again, that around the green game has flashed incredible highs. It's flashed incredible lows, but has been better than, um, you know, probably ever before from, from some of the flashes recently. Um, you know, majors, you know, 50, 54 holes through the November Masters with, with DJ there. Sunday was putrid. But, um, you know, Abe continues to show why he, he belongs up um, at kind of the top of the leaderboard. So I, I really, really like him this week. Yeah, as, as many people know, I like to poke fun at Abraham Answer as not winning top Mexican over Carlos Ortiz. <laughs> but um, when you look at the two places where he's had the best chances to win, it is the Heritage and it is Wells Fargo, both courses that we talked about at length. Uh, he's had another second place finish at the American Express with a stadium course. Pete Dye is on, of course. Um, the Players' Championship he's played well. He's finished 12th. Travellers, he's finished 8th. So he, the, the, there's everything to kind of suggest, Sky, what you're alluding to there, that he, on Pete Dye tracks, he's, he's absolutely superb. For me, I just, you spoke about kind of not backing kind of debutant major winners and, and things like that. And, I know that was at a lower price, but for me, like he still, to me, I just want to see him win on tour. And 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 like you say, I mean, at the Wells Fargo, it could have been completely different based on a draw. So he's done everything, and he, he's kind of pushed forward at the weekend. There, he pushed forward at the weekend at the Heritage. So maybe that he's just been more unfortunate than I'm willing to give it credit for. Um, but yeah, I just for me, I just think he's probably the right price. And there's there's guys that are, that are longer odds that, that I kind of liked. And and I'll come into one of those now. Um, he was a, a much bigger price uh, yesterday. Um, he's been popular today. And that's Keegan Bradley, um, former winner of this event uh, in 2011, then defended uh, in 2012 when they were here and, and played, you know, pretty well. Finished third. Um, he's we'd spoke about Firestone. He's won and finished second there. So two 36-hole leads already this season. His form looks incredibly similar to what it did when he went and went in the playoff event against Justin Rose in 2018. He's had a second at the Travellers, Pete Dye. He was second to Pat Perez at the CIMB and is also sixth and tenth there, and that's a pass Palum Green's angle. He's played well at the Maya Cobra. He's played well at the Honda. Practices his golf at the Bears Club where there's pass Palum surfaces. I don't think he's on the greens anymore, but it's still in the fairways. Um, 
there's just an awful lot to like. He's he's hitting the ball incredibly well, as he generally always has done. Um, but he certainly seems to be getting back to that kind of, I wouldn't say major winning form because he, he's he's won once. But I think that he's he really is getting back to the peak of his powers. And and if the 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 incoming form that we saw when he wins that BMW is any sort of you know indicated, and he's certainly in that respect now. Um, Jason, any thoughts on Keegan Bradley? Yep, I took 120 last week on Betfair for him. I'm very happy um, having that. Um, yep, playing absolutely fantastically. Followed up his win, obviously, with a, uh, a podium place here the year after on a PGA. I absolutely agree with you. A- absolutely flying. Um, you know, okay, I was on Sam Burns um, when he got up um, at the blah, blah, blah in Miami. Everyone. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. When he got that up at the Thank you. Yeah, where, where Keegan didn't really drive it particularly well. Um, I was happy Burns won, but I, I did think Keegan sort of gave him it really at the start of the round. Um, obviously at the Wells Fargo, that's you know that's a fantastic, um, fantastic performance. Second round 75, took him out of it a little bit. I agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm very very happy. I think he's driving it well. He'll he'll come to, sorry, he's playing well. He'll he'll come to the tournament. You know, very very happy that he's he's back into form, having drifted away sort of outside the top 100. He's back to 69 now. I think there's a win in him, definitely, this year at some point. And yeah, I, I'm not arguing with him, mate. I think I think uh, this is the perfect tournament for him. And, and that's the thing is, I do, I do genuinely feel like he's he's bubbling towards a win. And it might be one of those ones where he doesn't quite get it done. The major champion just wins a week after a two. Mm. You know, anything can happen. We can't. I'm not going to pin my mask and say that Keegan Bradley's going to get his win. It's going to be here, but. It just feels like he's playing well enough, and this would be the major that would suit for me. You know, he's, and he, I think he's, um, you know, his performances in the Open Championship have been slightly underrated. He's got three top 18 finishes or top 20 finishes in that event. Ben, did you have any thoughts of King Bradley? No, everything you said stacks up really. <clears throat> you know, he's the same price he was just about for the Valspar, but again, those each way terms are are important. He obviously has the course format. I think the one thing massively in his favour because you do want to feel anything less than 100 to 1 you want to feel you've got a realistic win chance don't you and um you know he wins big tournaments doesn't he, he won yeah. won the pga won won the at firestone and, and he won a playoff event at justin rose's expense so i agree with you that a win is coming um and i actually think he's one of those because he's perceived to have this great putting crisis which by the way he he doesn't have at the minute you look at you know a lot of players in the world would swap putting stats with him and adam scott right now um believe it or not um <laughs> And with Keegan, there is something tangible there. He's he's gone back to an old putter head, um, and it's worked wonders. So I think he probably is going to win, um, maybe in the next six months or so. And he's probably one of those who's not going to get that short. So he could be a golfer to follow. Yeah, um, maybe win the Travelers. Yeah, and the other thing I liked is around the green numbers. It's 26th, 7th, and 13th. His last three starts, uh, according to Tour Tips, so around the green. So he's gaining strokes there. Sky, any thoughts on Keegan Bradley before we move on? To me, it was tomato, tomato for the other ball striker in the same range. You didn't bring him up, but um, I'll, I'll say it right now who I'm on is, is Corey Connors. You know, and I don't think it's all that different picking between the two besides the fact that, you know, Keegan has gained strokes putting in five of the last six events. I think to Ben's, Ben's point, he has had a bit of a technique adjustment um, in addition. So um, that, that definitely does you know, maybe point to hopefully more sustainable short game from Keegan. Um, and again, am I asking for more, for more of a leap from a player than what Keegan's pedigree has? Yeah. And that's at the same number. Absolutely. I guess my card reeks of that for the week. Um, 
but but yeah, I, I can't pick apart you know a a trending tee to green player like Keegan at these numbers with um, you know the the history that he has even at Kiowa here. There's, this is a selection now. We've all kind of got a selection in this area uh, of major champions that have kind of either returned to form, kind of never lost it, or are in the perfect sort of situation. So, Ben, I'll let you start off with Shane Lowry. Yeah, I probably followed Shane over a cliff, haven't I? But I think when you <laughs> pursue the angles that I, I looked at, and he doesn't owe me anything, um, but when you pursue the angles that I looked at, um, he kept coming up. And I really do like how he's playing. I sort of get a bit of a line on him through someone who knows one of his practice partners and and there is a degree of um not just i wouldn't say necessarily bullishness but a, a real determination uh to make that Ryder cup side and i know look no one's going to lack for motivation it's the pga championship but i think it you sort of expand it and and when we find a golfer who wins the the major or whatever you know there's a bigger picture isn't there and the, the months and the weeks that have gone into that and i think shane is is probably in a much better place than perhaps his results would suggest but even then his results are quite strong um two top tens this year both on pete dye courses um you know the port rush winner he's an absolute joy to watch around the greens isn't he and um if that is important um i i think he goes really well um you know there are parallels with padraig when he won this as, as a claret jug holder and um, I think he he's one of those Shane. He's probably a bit like Danny Willett, who at 250 to one, I think, is not the silliest outside of this week. Um, Willett said it in coverage on Sky Sports last week that sometimes he loses a bit of focus and a bit of interest. Um, he feels like he plays at his best when when it really matters, and that's something that Padraig always used to say, um, and it explains. Um, you know, to some degree, his his three major titles, and it wouldn't surprise me if Shane ended his career with only six trophies. You know, only six or seven trophies, but a World Golf Championship and and two majors. I, he's that sort of player. So, um, all those things, um, decent each way price. I don't think he's huge value. I think there are you know a lot of players at the same price who are probably playing a little bit better. You know, Paul Casey would be one, but um, with the each way terms, I'm I'm very confident they'll play well, and and that was enough. Yep, I like that completely. Uh, Jason, over to you for Charles Schwartzel. Ah, uh, Charles Schwartzel. Um, anyway, just to say, I, was, I got Charles Schwartzel at 376 average on Betfair last week in the hope that he would play well this week and was amazed that last night he was available at 125 to 1, first 11 places. Um, for me, that is the dot on the card, and, and I'm struggling. Although I'll back others, I'm struggling to find a better bet. Um Schwartzel obviously had problems with his wrist, went out of form 2018, 2019, 2020 really. Um, went from mid-30s, 79th, 223rd in the world. But uh, I hope everybody agrees that um, he's very, very much back in the game now. Um, been striking the ball absolutely beautifully again. Um, been ranking 5th uh, and 3rd, 5th and 4th for tee to green approaches. He's driving well, he's top 20 off the tee recently. Um, I think in the last three months, I think he ranks uh, top 14 uh, distance and greens in regulation. Everything's coming together for him to uh, compete against again at the top level. Um, Quell Hollow, it was, it was very nice to see him finish 14th after a, um, a previous ninth round there. Obviously, at Honda, he's got a number of top 10s, a number of top 20s. RBC, yeah, you have to go back a few years, I admit, but does have that um, 12th. And, of course, he was runner-up at the players in 2018. And I have got the Dom Pedro in, um, in Portugal, which, you know, we, we seem to throw in Portugal and Qatar and Dubai in quite a lot during the European tour. And I don't think it's completely out of the way to, to stick it of some relevance in this week when you look back at the um, 
the players that competed uh, in 2012 and, and, you know, maybe PGA's after that. Um, he's got a ninth, sixth and seventh round there. I, uh, obviously, Masters winner, second at the Masters, one's WGCs. Won the tournament, oh, should have won the tournament, I think. You were on, Ben, weren't you? The Schwarzland uh, Oosthausen uh, combi. I was uh, on Leishman and Smith, oh, you were on I'll have you know. Oh, you were glad I, to see Schwarzland. I, I roared that ball into the water. Yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, played exceptionally well. I, I love his, his, you know, Sky talks about trending figures. I absolutely love his trending figures. Um, and for me, I, I like I say, I cannot find a better bet on the card or, in fact, in the last few weeks than that 125 first to 11. He's not that now, I'll admit. I'm not sure what he is now. Is he still 100? Can you get 100? Yeah, you can. You can get 100 top eight if you can get on with any of these um, moody firms. Um, I still think that's just an absolutely cracking price. Can I think? Sorry, Tom. You, is it okay if I just add one thing? Um, this Don't is to do with the. No, no, no. He, he's flushing it. All the things you said, I, I agree with. Um, if you're going to back him this week, I think you owe it to yourself to have a little go at the 200 and the 175 for the Open. I know I keep talking about other majors, uh, but I actually tipped him for the Open in an anti-post piece for the Open that never was last summer, um, at about 200 to one. So it was 200 to one two years ago when he was playing terribly. Um, you can still have it, and he's back. Um, and the point around this is he actually made his open debut in the 2003 Open at um, Royal St. George's. He was seventh at halfway there in 2011, um, played really well, and he actually won the um, Brabazon Trophy next door at Royal St. Ports. Mm. Loads of good vibes going back there as well. So if he if he plays well this week, that open number is going to go to 80, isn't it? So if you can take the 175, then 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 do. Yeah, and I really like that. And he's double the price of what you know. I was really happy with the value that was on him last week based on his his numbers, and, and he you know didn't quite deliver the win, but played incredibly well. And KH Lee beat him as opposed to him losing it. Um, I don't know if I'm making this up. Um, this sounds and, fun, <laughs> and I could be. 2013 US Open at Merion. Did Charles Schwartzel have a routine where he used to shove his hand in his pocket before he was putting? Is, is that a thing that happened? There's Googling a lot of, it, Tom. There's, I there's, there's a lot of quiet, which concerns me. The only reason being is that there always seems to be something surrounding a putter. At the moment, the putter he's got is the ugliest thing in the entire world and looks like you could dial up your internet on it. But um, that, that's just the only thing that, that... And Sky, we'll go into your thoughts on Charles Schwartzel. It's just that, that they're the only things that kind of stick in my mind with Charles Schwartzel is that like he, he seems to do something funny... Uh, to fix that putting stroke, but it's working at the moment, and and I'm I'm with Jason. I think he's incredible value. Sky, what are your thoughts on Charles? Oh, Char- Charles on my card too, and Jason, I feel as strongly a- as you do. It's um, an unbelievable price for for what the underlying numbers have been over the last um, you know month. If you you bring him back, of course, Masters, you know, kind of was maybe that first turn the corner of how he played there and then just lights out irons from the Valspar, Wells Fargo, Byron Nelson going forward. And what he's doing off the tee, the last two tournaments, you know, he's gained over a, a half a stroke per round. And he had not done that in three years prior to this. Um, and, or I guess, no, he had done it twice in the previous three years. I, I say every second. And those two performances was a third place at the 3M and a second place at the Players' Championship. So the two times when, you know, he has drived exceptionally well and then you go you go into last week when he almost gained three strokes finishing third and he's doing it by by hitting fairways, he's doing it by driving, you know, distance wise, you know, is up there too. 
Um, so yeah, overall, I, I absolutely love um, love the play and and think he will continue that resurgence of ball striking. And there's not much more you can ask for at this price. Yeah, and I just like I said to to Jason, is we know the upside to Charles Schwartz. We know that if someone starts playing this kind of form, a bit like the people that we've been talking about, you know, Shane Lowry, Keegan Bradley. If there's anything that, that they kind of show. And they're working towards you. You know what you're going to get with him. You know he's he's won the Masters. Um, okay, albeit he was you know fortunate to to be that Rory sort of fell backwards, but he did his part. Um, he was won the Valspar against Bill Huss, who was you know a very good player at the time. He's won 11 times on the European Tour, albeit a lot of the times in South Africa. But he he has winning pedigree, especially he takes advantage of of form. So um, yeah, I, I love the play. There was a couple of others that I liked around here that I wanted to talk about. It's Bubba Watson was one that I think people are going to be completely against because of his. Uh, there's going to be a negative around him playing in the wind. And I think that he's probably a little bit better in those situations um, than he's given credit for. I think that his open championship form um, dictates a lot of how people feel about that. And, and I suppose Ted Scott and Ted Basie said that it's not so much the wind that's the problem, it's that he doesn't get any. Um, he finds it hard to get a picture of where to play his shots because he loves Augusta because it's kind of outlined by the pine straw. He loves Phoenix because of the desert. You know, he likes just being able to frame the fairways. And at the open, you've kind of got this sort of brown mass, if you like, with you know really wide open fairways at times where it, it's really hard to pick a landing spot. And, you know, he's, he's he was in that playoff at Western Straits in 2010, played very well there again in 2015. Um, and he and he's turned, you know, got back into form, um, Jason. In recent weeks, he just seems to be not back to his best because we know what his best is, and, and he, he's certainly not that at the moment. But you know, 18th for the Wells Fargo is an event we love. 13th for the Valspar, you wouldn't expect him to play very well. Um, and the Masters at 26th always seems disappointing for someone of his caliber there. But I just think he's playing some good golf at the moment. Yeah, I've lost my. Uh... Screens, oh, my screens have gone down. <laughs> Move on somewhere else, and I'll be back in a minute. Ben, your thoughts on Bubba Watson? Yeah, I, I sort of liked him. Yeah, all the things you said played well here in 2012, um, Whistling Straits, um, River Highlands. I, I, I'm on him at 150 for the US Open, so I hopefully he saves it for that. But he's playing well again, isn't he? Driving exceptionally well, putting fine. Iron plays in and out. Uh, that's Bubba, isn't it? He, you know, uh, if he if if he if he takes to it on day one and gets off to a good start, yeah, I don't think he'll win another major. But I don't suppose we're really asking that question at the price. No, absolutely not. Uh, any thoughts? And you want to talk about well, you want to talk about trending form with Bubba Watson. You know, him and uh, Jay Monahan took down the Pensacola Country Club guest over here. <laughs> just this past weekend so you know getting on the tour's good side playing with old commish there um but yeah i mean if you if you talk about whistling straights being the correlation you know bubba's one of the guys that you know popped up multiple times um so yeah when you get into as we talk every week you know you get into these deeper shots um there's not much you need to convince yourself to to back them matt wallace was a player that everyone is very bullish on uh, he, because he's so confident about his game. Uh, I've always thought he's a little bit overconfident and there was a lot of stock put into that three-win season. But I actually really like what he's done over the last four, five, six starts. Um, it seems to be a very consistent run of form, starting you know, 18th at Bay Hill, um, you know, third at the Valero Texas Open, OK at the Masters 34th. And he's gone 18th and 6th the last two weeks at the Heritage and Wells Fargo that we talk about an awful lot. 
Um, and when, when you just sort of take a sort of a micro look at his uh, performances in major championships, he's finished third at the PGA in 2019. He was 12th at the US Open in 2019. I just think there was enough kind of evidence there to suggest that he could contend. Jason, I know we spoke about him last week on the podcast as, as one to look out for. Yeah, I think you put him up a couple of weeks ago, I think. And and when you looked more, you know, more more deeply into it, um, and you realised the, um, you know, the correlation with the, the, you know, the previous form here and what he can do, um, it was it was a lot less laughable, Tom. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, his form on the right courses obviously he's only got very very few outings, uh, but that's six at Quail Hollow. Hollow definitely. Um, Definitely catches the eye, as, is, as does his progression at um, Harbour Town. Um, and, and he's played the players once. He was top 30 there. Um, again, if you bring the Tom Be- Dom Pedro into it, he's got eighth there. And he has one in Portugal as well. How relevant that is, you know, I can't tell you. Recently, Texas, he had a chance to win. And he was third, obviously, behind Jordan. Um, and if you go back a little bit, the tied seventh at Abu Dhabi um, was behind um, Hatton, who won it, and Rory, who was third, who we're all talking up sort of this week as well. So conditions really should suit, and and he was, and I did say he was going to be my special bet of the week, until um, I saw what happened today. Um, I agree. I, I think I, I have to be. Honest. I am again. He's another one that I backed on Betfair last week, um, but he's one I will be on somehow. I'm just not sure whether it's top European, top Brit, top Britain Island, top bloke called Wallace, top Nutter, whatever. <laughs> I'm not really sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I agree with you. I think this is going to suit him absolutely down to the ground. Yeah, uh, and I know there's another guy at the same price, uh, Jason. You're not always uh, the biggest fan of, but he, he fills all your boxes, and and he's not only is your an outright bet potentially, but he's definitely your special bet. Ah, uh, Sergio. Yeah. Yeah. Don't laugh, big tooth. Don't laugh. <laughs> when I done my, when I done the four the four what I thought was relevant stats, and then I done the four um, courses that I wanted to concentrate on. If though, and I know there's plenty more. Um, there were there were three players that came out on all four lists um, of stats, which was Ram, Wakim uh, Neiman, who I think is too naive for this, and Sergio. And then when I go through the form of Quail players, Honda, Don Pedro, whatever you want, Sergio just just leaps out. Um, look, I mean, to be honest, you can read it all yourself. I mean, it's it's clear what he's done. It's it's just it's just quite mad what he's done in his career on some hard courses. Um, in the last three months, I think he's fourth in total driving. He's top four in driving distance, which suits here. Twenty first in greens and reg, which suits here. I think the only negative are the three missed cuts that he's had, but he hit sixty five and sixty eight um, in the first round in both of those. So I'm not entirely sure um, what is going on with him. Um, but like I say, I mean, I, I've moved on to doing this more sort of analytical approach. So, you know, it's a bit more boring, to be honest with you, um, and taking the emotion away and, and, and trying not to have an opinion on a player. And he's, he basically stands out with Rory, and Rory's 10-1, to 1, and I know Rory, obviously, is more likely to win. But top eight, top nine, top 10, top 11, um, for me, he's, he's just, I've got him in pink highlighter, which means he leads the way. <laughs> Well, that, that's it. You know, what else do people need to know other than the fact that you've highlighted him in pink? Yeah. Um, there's nothing else that we need to say. Uh, I'm going to quickly move through to the last because we're uh, me and Sky are due up on uh, on our show in in a few moments. Um, we've we've all got kind of long shot picks. Matt Kuchar, I kind of alluded to earlier, and I'll, I'll probably take a second look at him. 
been slightly surprised that Harris English didn't form your staking plan. Um, but but I can see maybe why you've gone elsewhere. But Ben, give us your, your Aussie outsider before um, Sky gives us our Brit of the week. Yeah, uh, Matt Jones. Um, I can't believe it. I'm putting up Matt Jones, 41-year-old Matt Jones, uh, the two-time PGA Tour winner to win the PGA Championship. Um, all the trends <laughs> tell you we can't win except for one, and that is that a lot of winners of this had won earlier in the season. Personally, I don't place great value on that because um, you know we're in May, there are fewer events now, and I don't know, you know, when it was in August, of course, the winner had often won. They're, they're all the best golfers in the world who win this. But um, it is something that does point you towards some of the surprise winners as well. And so is the Honda Classic. I think of all the, the standard PGA Tour events that don't necessarily attract uh, elite fields, the Honda has got one of the, the richest histories of producing major champions or reminding us of major champions uh, of days gone by. So Y.E. Yang and um, Lucas Glover was close there. Jeff Ogilvie was close there. Rory's won it. Adam Scott, um, Gary Woodland's been close there. Um, Patrick Harrington won it um, fairly recently, of course. You know, year upon year, people who've gone well in majors go well in the Honda Classic. Um, and of course, Matt Jones won it, I think, by five shots. Um, more than that, he's 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 carried on. Um, it, it felt like a bit of a bolt from the blue, but he played well at Augusta. He played fine at Quail Hollow. He's got brilliant short game. He's longer than you think. He's gaining strokes throughout the bag. Um, and then the final little icing on the cake. I mean, let's not forget, by the way, he's a two-time Australian Open winner. Um, the icing on the cake was that he was the halfway leader at Whistling Straits. He, he finished in the mid-20s, so it's hidden, but he was right up there and he got really frustrated in the third round as the quickest player on the planet with some really slow play. Uh, that could happen again this week, but um, I I thought at 150 to one with 10 or 11 places, uh, he'd give you a good run because he's dynamite around the greens. There we go. Absolutely love that. Great summary there. Sky, Robert McIntyre. You know, I, I'm starting to buy into, I think that British, uh, the British media out there that continues to, <laughs> to, to, to tout our guaranteed major winner. Yes, absolutely. But, um, you know, it, it's arguably, you know, the, the Zalatoris type of showing than what he has had. And some of these big opportunities, um, you know, in major championships, of course, you know, the the 12th last last uh, major at the Masters, the sixth and his, you know, major debut back at the Open Championship, you know, has not missed a cut, you know, in his majors that he has played. Um, Pete Dye history, you know, players wasn't great. RBC Heritage middling excellent at the match play where he had arguably the greatest shot known to mankind that was never shown um, with that drive on 18 to win his match. Um, but yeah, I just think, are you, you know, you look at what Bob does well, he drives it long, he drives it pretty straight. He hits greens. He's got a decent short game. Um, you know, we've now, we now see him week in and week out as, you know, a, a sub 25 to one on the European tour. And it's now brought just a boat of, I think, consistency to his game that, you know, does he get over the line as often as he, he should? You know, absolutely not. One win to his professional, you know, name with it being the Cypress Showdown. You know, I think that's definitely, you know, questions to be asked about what we saw in the back nine just yesterday or Saturday. But um, I think the, the each way offerings for Bob um, are right there and he loves a good test of golf that this can bring. So, you know, I am bought in with, with the game that he now has. Absolutely. Jason, any final long shot picks before we, we wrap up the week? Uh, just the only other one, really, uh, is Gary Woodland. 
Um, yeah. He's a US Open winner, driving the ball huge at the moment. Yes, he does look like he doesn't know what day it is most of the time. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, Quayle, he, you know, obviously he's fifth. He, he, he could have, should have, maybe could have, would have won it. Who knows? Um, plays really, really well, Quayle. I think this Honda form is typical of um, Gary Woodland. So eighth, nothing, nothing, second, nothing, nothing, sixth. You don't really know what you're going to get with him. Um, he seems to be back in, in decent form. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't want him, I wouldn't want him to hit the front too early. Um, but he was definitely one at three figures that I thought, you know, for a place 10-11, um, he's got plenty of major form. And, and, you know, it's quite good that he maybe doesn't actually know what's going on. Um, that may suit him. And uh, can I just say one thing? Having gone on and on and on about Sergio, of course, best bet of the actual best bet of the week is the top Spaniard. I know Ben knows the market. I know you know the market. Sky, can I ask you what price? It's a match. It's John Rahm and Sergio Garcia. I know you know the outright market, but price that up individually. What price is Sergio Garcia to beat John Rahm? Hmm. I haven't even looked at the head-to-heads. As we get it, let me say plus one seventy. What's that? What's that in English? It's um, <laughs> about seven to four, isn't it? Seven to four. He's five to two. Five to two to beat. Beast top Spaniard against one player, John Rahm. So, kids, that's your bet of the week if you're not on Charles Schwartzel already. Um, unbelievable price. Cannot believe it. As soon as it went up, Matt Wallace was out the door as the special. Bang. That was the one. There we go. And that is the, the best way to uh, to end our show, I believe, is to, to talk about uh, transatlantic uh, comparisons and metrics and <laughs> and uh, and get the get the better of the week in. So, uh, Jason, I'll come to you first to summarise your picks for this week. Yeah, they are uh, Leishman, Bradley, uh, Schwartzel uh, wins me a holiday, uh, Matt Wallace, uh, Sergio, and Gary Woodland. Um, I've, I've left Hovland, um, Zalatoris on the side unfortunately um but uh, they all into uh powers into insignificance if sergio beats johnny ram yeah absolutely ben if you could just summarize your picks for us uh, yeah spieth dj lowry fleetwood uh leishman and and matt jones apparently um yeah really really hopeful <laughs> you sound very optimistic uh, yeah, i just uh, i don't know what can i say um he's there um yeah i'm i'm really hopeful that the jordan spieth will give us some great excitement um and, and, and go close to winning that Grand Slam. And I'm adamant the one thing, the one I will definitely not regret is Dustin Johnson at 20 to 1. Absolutely. Sky, your picks for us. Yes. Hovland, uh, Brooks Kepka, Answer, Zalatoris, Connors, Charles Schwartzel, and Bob McIntyre. Yeah, absolutely. And I've gone DJ, Will Zalatoris, uh, Matt Wallace for definite. Uh, and Keegan Bradley as well. Uh, and there is some thoughts there on Bubba Watson. And I've just noticed that Sam Horsfield's nearly a thousand to one on Betfair. So I'll probably sprinkle a couple of pounds on that if uh, if he hasn't lost an arm uh, since those odds went up. Um, gents, thank you as ever for your support on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's really truly appreciated that you come on. Uh, Jason and I look forward to having you both on. So uh, Ben and Sky, thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure always. Thank you, Ben. Yes, Cheers, absolutely, guys. gentlemen. We, we really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Have funny five minutes repeating this. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But you can Cheers. use American You can use American decimals now. Please. My mind was <laughs> And then I'll be confused as well. So there we go. Right, guys. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks a lot. See you later.